Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Prophecy Update. Here on Prophecy Update, we attempt to authenticate the sovereignty of Jesus Christ through Bible prophecy and current events. Let's join our host, Bill Solace. Welcome to another edition of the Prophecy Update radio program, whereby we intend to authenticate God's sovereignty through Bible prophecy by telling you what Bible prophecy has to say about these last days. My name is Bill Solace, your host, and I am sitting with Nathan Jones today regarding Bible prophecy will be our topic, and Nathan Jones is uh, with Lamb and Lion Ministries. Uh, he's the co-host with Dr. Reagan on Christ and Prophecy TV and uh, does a lot of the technological stuff with Lamb and Lion. He's a webmaster and sort of the the whiz. We, we could call him a whiz kid, but he actually's not a kid anymore, are you, Nathan? <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess I'm officially middle-aged. Middle-aged yes. now, yeah. You just turned 41, you're telling me. Yes, sir. If that's yes. okay to give your age. That's, that's fine. Nathan's been on the show before, and uh, he's... Real um, adept in understanding the technologies of today and their biblical uh, potential biblical implications. Uh, one of the things we're going to talk about today is we're going to look between now and the second coming of Christ, the general uh, layout of prophetic events as we suspect they will probably come. We're going to try to sequence them and briefly talk about them. So. Right now, Nathan, what are a few things you think um, could be coming, forthcoming, and, you know, we don't know exactly when, but, you know, what types of prophecies do you feel are stage-setting right now that you're kind of looking for? Okay. Well, first, Bill, thank you for having me on the program. It's an honor and a blessing. Absolutely. Love uh, sharing Bible prophecy with you. Uh, I'm excited because Israel is back in the land again. Yes. And because Israel is back in the land, God's prophetic time clock is ticking down. So we know that everything end time related, uh, the prophets always call it the latter days, the, the last times, the end times, all circle around the tribulation time period. The tribulation, as you know, being the seven years of tribulation or God's wrath will be upon this world to bring a remnant of people back to knowing him as Savior, to judge evil, and for Jesus to come back and be victorious. So there's, he gives us quite a number of prophetic events that happen from the time that Israel comes back in the land again and is constantly being attacked. She, she's born, like travails through labor, with the labor pains afterwards. And so we're going to get to a number of prophetic events that are coming up. And I believe that as we look at the Middle East, a lot of them are starting to become pretty clear. So you're thinking that um, the Middle East could start to be, as Joel Rosenberg says, the epicenter, you, maybe the next prophetic fulfillment could come out of the Middle East on some level. Exactly. We're like, seeing a which ones? Maybe? Well, we're seeing a transition from the, the power of God through the church to the power of God through his acts uh, through Israel. Okay. And we know that when we read Ezekiel 38 and 39, which we call the Gog and Magog battle, that God steps into history again. Uh, that By the time it's done, the whole world will know that God is there and God is protecting Israel. That's a, that's a complete transition from the church to Israel. So we know that by then we're talking about tribulation, either just before or at the very beginning of the tribulation. And when you read about Ezekiel 38 and 39, you read about quite a number of different nations that are going to come down and attack Israel. 
you read about uh, Gog, who is the leader designate. Maybe it's a person. People are saying Vladimir Putin lately, since he's the most right. uh, powerful Maybe man in the world recently. Good possibility. Uh, we don't know. Maybe Gog is a designation for a demon. But he leads a horde, a group of nations led by Russia, and that involves Turkey, Iran, all those stand nations like Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan and all. Uh, also Libya and the Sudan against Israel. And uh, this is when God steps in and with supernatural Old Testament type wrath. He destroys those nations through earthquakes and hail. The nations turn on each other. And then God sends fire on those nations. So we know biblically, and again, this is one of the most detailed prophecy, prophetic wars in the whole Bible, even more so than Armageddon, mm-hmm. that we know that then the world knows there is a God. And to me, that really sets the world up for the tribulation time period. Now, is that the next prophetic event? I don't believe it's the next prophetic event, but I believe it's God gives us as a milestone for us to understand the events that happened before the tribulation and the those that start into the tribulation. Yeah, the, the Gog of Magog invasion, as it's commonly called, Ezekiel 38 and 39, 52 verses of meticulous detail. I mean, it tells you who's involved, what the motives are, where the location of the battlefield is, the defeat, what happens in the aftermath. And I believe that's the marquee event that God, well, it is the marquee event that God will uphold his holy name, we're told, in the aftermath of his defeat, his supernatural defeat. It says, I will uphold my holy name in the midst of my people Israel, though it shall not profane it anymore, and the nation shall know I'm the Lord. So I agree with you, Nathan. I think that particular prophecy is so specific, you can walk away from reading that. You don't have to be a rocket scientist yeah, exactly. to get something out of it, because God is going to pedestal that event as a very important thing for the world to know that he's the Lord. Now, I personally believe, from the details we have in that prophecy, that that could actually exist before the seven years of tribulation. What do you think about that possibility? Well, there's there's two arguments, and a lot of it's based on the aftermath of the war. We read in Ezekiel 39 how the Jews have to clean up from all the dead. There's so many dead. It takes them seven months of every person in the country picking up dead bodies. They put them in a valley of Hemingog, and that's where the dead are placed. And they build a town next door. It's like a, one of those, uh, if you look back in the Gold Rush era, you know how a town would spring up overnight to mm-hmm. deal with it? And uh, there's a town that springs up overnight next door to, to deal with that. And for seven months, they're, they're picking up the dead. And then there's cleanup crews that continue on. But we're told, and this is specifically interesting, is that the Jews take the weapons that are left over, and it takes them seven years to burn the weapons, whether they're burning the fuel or they're actually burning the weapons themselves. There's a lot of debate on that. So the question then is, when you look into the tribulation time period, we know that the Antichrist comes in the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years into it. He desecrates the temple, and many Jews flee out of Israel and down into the Jordan and Petra. And so this is where the debate begins. Do the Jews bring that fuel with them and burn that while they're there? Or do they leave it all behind and then for the next three and a half years are supplied by God supernaturally? And so that makes a question. With that seven years, because you can't have this past the tribulation time period, which is seven years long, does that mean that this is an event that happens before the tribulation? I personally believe it sets up the tribulation. It sets up the Antichrist. Uh, making a peace treaty with Israel, not to give Israel peace, but to protect the world from Israel, whose God rules it. So there are some who say that 
the Gog Magog battle happens three and a half years before the tribulation begins, and then go, ends when the Antichrist desecrates the temple. Others, and this is how I, I kind of believe, is that why can't the Jews bring the fuel with them and burn them for the full seven-year period? Mm-hmm. But either way, that places the Gog and Magog battle, to answer your original question, uh, before the tribulation or just at the onset of the tribulation? Or just at the start, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I favor the before. I don't think if they're fleeing the onslaught of the Antichrist, they'll grab weapons to burn fuel. If they grab weapons, they'll probably try to use them on their way out, right? Yeah, you exactly. shoot their way out of Dodge. Um, I also believe it's an important timing because God's going to uphold his holy name in the midst of his people, Israel. So what, what I think would be said there is that God will say, look, I just stopped the most massive Mideast invasion of all time. I did it. You know I did it through the natural, supernatural events that you described. Yes. And now, folks, I upheld Israel. I upheld the land that they're in the land, that nothing's changed, and I've kept my promise to Abraham that he would have a people in a, a land. And now I want you to know I'm the promise-keeping God, and you're going to have to make a choice because coming in the near future, now going into the tribulation shortly thereafter, another guy's going to come and vie for your attention. He's yeah. going to try to get your spiritual vote. So I want you to know, look, you have two choices here. The God that just upheld Israel, who keeps his promises, or this other character, the lawless one, the Antichrist, the beast, who's going to be coming through deception, lying signs and wonders, according to the powers of Satan, we're told in Second Thessalonians. So I favor the pre-trib, but I agree with you, if it starts on the beginning of the tribulation, that could work, they could burn weapons for seven years, but it would be doubtful that it would start in the middle of the tribulation anywhere, because they'd have to then be converting those weapons into fuel on into the Messianic Kingdom, so I, I think that's a good outlook for them at that point, the listeners, to, to think about that. Now, with Turkey having an animosity toward Israel over the last couple of decades, especially since that Mavi Mamara incident in 2010, yeah. I think it was, or 11, right. with Russia and Iran having strong relationships, these are all members in Ezekiel 38 and 39, um, R- Iran getting nuclear weapons, they're trying to anyways, um, Russia and Turkey signed a deal to build a nuclear plant in Ankara, <laughs> which will be coming up by 2020 or 2024. I forget the exact time. Okay. So we're seeing these relationships coming that are really solid, and this animosity toward Israel with Turkey and Iran does not like Israel. And Russia is making good friends with Turkey and Iran, three of the main players in Ezekiel 38. We have to suspect, probably, and you see Vladimir Putin flexing his muscles. Yeah, shirtless. Um, yeah, shirtless, <laughs> yeah. Taking over Crimea yeah. in March of 2014 with barely firing a, a shot. Um, so we have to think that that prophecy is drawing near. Yes. But is it next? What's your thoughts? Well, see, the nice thing about the Ezekiel 38 and 39 prophecy is that it gives us a road mark, but from there we can look at other events. For one... We know that with God stepping into the world, so to speak, maybe not physically, and defeating the enemies, uh, Gog, Magog, those nations, that the focus through the church is no longer on the church anymore. It's back on Israel again. That's a huge transition. That means that this age, this dispensation, this church time period must have come to a close because now all of a sudden we have God 
focusing on Israel. We're living kind of in a time period where we're seeing the church in a decline and Israel in an incline to eventually the Lord will rapture the church out and the focus then will be on Israel. And that's why by looking at Ezekiel 38 and 39, seeing God, you know, coming back in the world so majestically like he does, seeing the Jewish people accept him as, as God, although not yet his son, Jesus Christ, that then we can discern that the rapture of the church must happen before the Gog and Magog battle. Yeah, and a good point about the Jews will accept God. Nationally, the reason we believe that will be the case is because Ezekiel 38 talks about, as a result of Ezekiel 38 we're talking about, Mm -hmm. that they will be cleansing the land. They bring that up, I think it's three times. Oh, yeah, ceremonial cleansing. Yeah, which was a ritual requirement of the Mosaic Law. Now, of course, they've got to get rid of contaminated corpses and things, too, so it may simply mean that. But the fact that there's a ritual requirement of the law suggests that they're reinstating in response to God delivering them not to jump on the Jesus train, but to re-implement the Mosaic law. And then ultimately the sacrificial system would come out of that. Mm -hmm. And they'd want to build their temple if they haven't already built it by then. And we know there will be a temple, correct, Nathan, coming, a tribulation temple. There has to be a third temple built, otherwise there's nothing for the Antichrist to desecrate. But you bring up an excellent point there, really excellent, because the the fact that the Jews are back in the ceremonial procedures, the fact that the end result of that is the Jews have given their lives to God, not only that, but they start emigrating from all around the planet. You know, half of the world's Jewry is in Israel, but the other half, a lot of them are in the United States. Uh, right. Every third friend of mine when I lived in Philadelphia was a Jewish person. Mm-hmm. But the result of this war is that the regathering of the Jews is almost complete, and that it gets a big impetus. All of a sudden, all the Jews in the world want to get this desire, you know, to go to Israel and move to Israel. And so there's definitely a passion for God where there's none existing. Mm-hmm. I think the last time I read, 85% of the Jews that live in Israel are secular humanists. They they have no passion for God. They think of the Orthodox as you know kind of a weird sect. They object every time the Orthodox try to put their ceremonial views on people. But you're right. When we get to Ezekiel 38 and 39, it's like Israel has accepted God. Now we know they won't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior until Jesus actually returns at the end of those seven years at the second coming. Yeah, they will see him and they will weep and they will realize what they have missed the Messiah all these times. So I, I think Ezekiel 38 and 39 gives us a fantastic picture of a Jewish people returned to the Lord in fulfillment of all these sorts of Bible prophecies. And that tells us the rapture happened before. But I think also when you're talking about events that happened beforehand, that there is a hole in the picture of Ezekiel 38 and 39, which you obviously are very familiar with, and that's the the Psalm 83 war. The fact that the nations directly surrounding Israel, like Syria and Lebanon, Jordan and Gaza and Egypt and all, they're not in the picture of the nations. Now, Ezekiel went into tremendous detail to describe each and every nation, including four nations that now comprise Turkey. So it's very important that gives details. Why would they leave out the nations directly surrounding Israel? And I believe that, and as you've taught well and well again, and as you've really opened my eyes to this subject, is that mm-hmm. Israel has to subjugate the nations around them to feel that they're in a, a peace and safety. Because it's interesting, when again, by reading Gog and Magog, we can understand some of the prophetic events that happened beforehand. And one of them is, for Gog and Magog to happen, Israel has to feel like they're living in peace Mm -hmm. and safety and unsuspecting. 
Now, Israel, who's constantly under attack, feels mm-hmm. unsuspecting of this massive attack. They've got one of the best armies and surveillance systems in the world. How can they not be suspecting that Russia wants to wipe them out? Mm-hmm. It has to be because they won some tremendous war beforehand. And I think, again, by looking at Gog and Magog, we can go back and see that there is a Psalm 83 war that must happen beforehand. Yeah, and so we, we can make some logical deductions mm-hmm. and conclusions. Yeah, we're deducing, yeah. And that sort of thing. I, I want to say this, Nathan. We've talked a little bit about the rapture probably preceding Ezekiel 38. Mm-hmm. And Ezekiel 38 possibly preceding the tribulation period. Now, I'm, I'm going to speak for me and I think for you, but if I'm wrong, correct me. Dear listener, we are talking about, we both agree that the rapture could very well precede Ezekiel 38 and 39. But we're not saying for sure. Exactly. Because it could actually happen during, during. Ezekiel 38 and 39. But during. what Nathan and I agree on is that it will precede the, the tribulation period. We believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Is that correct, Nathan? Correct, yes. The, the rapture is an imminent event. Jesus said that he will return like a thief. Now, if we all knew what time the thief was coming, he announced his time, we'd be ready to go. You know, he'd come in the door, we'd have our baseball bat, we're all set. But no, we don't know when a thief is coming. So Jesus said he'd come like a thief. And when he comes to take up, to rapture, to catch up his people and take them to heaven. And so I firmly believe that the rapture of the church is a pre-tribulation event. We're not meant for the wrath of God, Revelation 3.10 and First Thessalonians 1.10 and other verses tell us that the church is not meant for the wrath of God. And the tribulation is, like the flood, the wrath of God. So I believe that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. I believe that uh, Psalm 83 will happen before the tribulation. I believe Gog and Magog will happen just before, at the very beginning of that when we're talking about you know, prophetic events that line up before the tribulation. Okay, great. Well, we're going to go to a break, and we have, um, we've kind of opened the door to the thoughts about a little bit about Psalm 83, and maybe are there any other pre-trib events, and then we can briefly talk a little bit about some of the stuff in the tribulation when we return. So hold that thought. Missiles cloud midi skies over the Persian Gulf. Iran shuts down the Strait of Hormuz. Arab oil is choked off to the world markets. Hezbollah and Hamas launch scores of missiles into Israel. Terror cells initiate cycles of violence in America. Global economies begin to collapse. Radioactivity permeates the skies over Bashar's nuclear reactor. Countless Iranians hastily seek refuge into neighboring nations. The Arabian Gulf becomes a cesspool of contamination. Desalination plants can't process the polluted waters. A humanitarian crisis burgeons out of control. A disaster of epic biblical proportions has finally arrived in the Middle East. About 2,600 years ago, the Hebrew prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel issued parallel end times prophecies concerning modern-day Iran. Today, the rogue country is becoming a nuclear nation and aggressively advancing its hegemony throughout the greater Middle East. Bill Solace has just written another timely book, and it addresses this subject matter. The book is entitled, Nuclear Showdown in Iran, Revealing the Ancient Prophecy of Elam. Bill's book is a non-fiction thriller taking the reader on a journey of discovery through the eyes of the prophets and the minds of today's key national players. 
Can anything good come from the evil that is about to befall us? The ancient prophecy of Elam will reveal what God has ordained, what the prophets saw, and what you need to know and do now. Hello, this is Bill Solace. Are you prepared for a nuclear showdown breaking out in Iran? Did you know that a spiritual showdown is already underway in Iran? Iran has become the number one growing evangelical population in the world. Here in America, you ask, why should you care? Perhaps because ancient predictions are unfolding in modern times. Present paranormal events are shaping mankind for a supernatural future. Advanced human technologies are being manipulated by invisible forces. The Middle East theater is being staged for the final showdown between good and evil. Not enough? Then what about an uncontrollable nuclear arms race unleashed in the Middle East? Thousands of missiles launched into Israel. OPEC oil supplies cut off from world markets. Increased terrorism throughout the world. Do you need more than imagine this? Gas prices hovering over $12 per gallon. Favorite public places targeted by terrorists. Sizable metropolitan areas infected with incurable viruses. Wide-scale ATM shutdowns for lack of electricity. No gas, no money, no food, no water. I wrote this book to prepare you for the powerful prophetic events that are about to happen. Pick up your copy of Bill's book today at Amazon.com or Bill's website at www.prophecydepot.com. That's www.prophecydepot.com. Well, we're back, and this is Bill Solis with Prophecy Update Radio, and we're speaking with Nathan Jones, the co-host of the Christ and Prophecy TV show with Dr. David Reagan, and Nathan is with the Lamb and Lion Ministries, and that's at lamblion.com, lamblion.com, and that's a wonderful website. Nathan's actually the web master. He, he takes care of that site, keeps it active, and you'll find the media programs, the TV shows, the articles. They've got the social networks all dialed in with Facebook and stuff. Uh, very state-of-the-art website. You're going to want to visit lamblion.com. Now, before the break, uh, Nathan was talking about the potential for Psalm 83 preceding Ezekiel 38 because Ezekiel 38 talks about um, Israel dwelling in a condition of uh, dwelling safely without walls, bars, nor gates. Uh, very prosperous Israel because Russia is coming to invade that Israel with its co- coalition. And Nathan brought out a good point that the the populations listed in Psalm 83 that share common borders with Israel, and that would be Edomites and Ammonites and Moabites and Megabites and Gigabytes. <laughs> Don't forget terabytes. Terabytes. I throw that in because you're such a, a tech techno guy, Nathan. But uh, everything, buddy, um, my age group is. Yeah, but um, but who they would be today, Nathan briefly talked about it. It's the Arab states and terrorist populations that share common borders with Israel. And Nathan and I concur, that is something to be watching for dealing with probably the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, the Hezbollah-Hamas scenarios, all the things that have really been plaguing Israel from their immediate neighbors. How do you feel about that? That's coming up, don't you think? Well, uh, the last time I was in Israel was uh, in March of 2014, and I witnessed two Arab uh, riots just in Jerusalem I was there. One, I was on the Mount of Olives, and our, our tour group was overlooking the Kidron Valley. And we saw, we heard, well, first we heard it. It sounded like a roar, and it got louder and louder. And it was the 
Muslims pouring out of the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the Temple Mount, and they were they were furious because a Jewish Knesset member had went up on the Temple Mount, and so they were ready to stone the guy. And the military came in, and we're watching all this from across the valley. The next day, I saw a Palestinian uh, group march out of the city of David, the old city of David, and they were holding a rally and they were trying to get get support, and they were throwing rocks and things like that. And you th- tend to think that's life every day in Israel, and it's not. You can bring tour groups there, and it's peaceful, and everybody wants your money, and you know you can have a good time in Israel. But lately, uh, it comes in waves, and we're at the crest of a, a new wave of violence, where they're calling that the silent infatada, as you probably know. It's a, a Abbas, who's the head of the Palestinians, is trying to raise up uh, a lot of anger against the Jews and, and get people to, to start riots and, and just mess things up again. So we're seeing that rise. Now... We, you can't live like that. Nobody can live like that, where your neighbors are constantly attacking you, where Lebanon is constantly... What are we up to now? 75,000 missiles pointed at Israel? Well, we think Hezbollah might have 100,000. Every time I hear the statistic, it goes up and up. I mean, yeah. Where are they getting them from? From You know, you've got Gaza constantly being rearmed. You've got uh, Egypt, thank goodness, at least it's under LCC. It's, it's a little more peaceful. Jordan, there's always talks about them wanting to break treaties and... There's just, you can't live like that. If Canada and Mexico were constantly threatening the United States, we'd go in and subdue it. And I mm-hmm. believe, prophetically, as you've been well teaching for, for years, is that Psalm 83, Israel has to do something about it. You cannot live like that. Now we've got the U.N. serious about giving the Palestinians a country. That'd be like the U.N. stepping and saying, well, New Jersey now is its own country. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. The Jews cannot live like that. And so I believe that we're getting really close to a point where Israel has to... To militarily step up and defend their borders. Yeah, and let, in a nutshell, Psalm 83 says that a confederacy of the Arab populations we're talking about, they form a crafty or a devious plan, a confederate plan, and their goal is to cut the nation of Israel off that the name of Israel can be remembered no more. And their motive in verse 12 of Psalm 83 is to take the land of Israel, the pastures of God for themselves as a possession. And that's why I believe there is no peace land for peace deals that are coming to fruition. Not at all, no. And they won't come to fruition because that's not part of the end times plan from God's perspective. And God's will will prevail, not, you know, the Obama administration. <laughs> Amen. Or, Amen. You know, they've been trying the land for peace deals with, you know, the Bushes and the Clinton <laughs> and Obama. And it always fails because it's not going to happen. Matter of fact, there's a curse on anyone who tries to separate Israel's land that will be shattered to pieces. And I, I worried for the United States. Every time we seem to try to separate Israel's land, we get hit with some terrible natural or economic disaster. And the Bible's very clear. Those who try to take the land away from the Jews will get punished. And our nation and other nations have been punished as we constantly keep sticking our nose in the Middle East peace process but there is no peace, and there won't be peace until the Prince of Peace returns. Right, and the, what Nathan's alluding to is in Joel 3.2, where the nations are being judged ultimately in Armageddon, the, camp, the final campaign, and it says they're guilty of dividing up God's land. Yes. And so we are you know, certainly participants in that right now. Matter of fact, we're at the helm of that. And if the Arabs want to take the land of Israel, we're certainly doing their bidding for them by trying to get Israel to cough up some land to the very Arabs in Psalm 83 that want to take the whole land and not have an Israel. Very dangerous situation. So we're watching for that collectively, Nathan and I. Now, when we get into the tribulation period, which is not started by the rapture, 
It's the confirmation by the Antichrist with Israel and someone someone referred to as the many in Daniel 9, verses 26 and 27. That's what starts what's also called Daniel's 70th week, a week of seven years. Uh, Christians commonly call that the tribulation period mm-hmm. of seven years. And it's divided up in several places in the Bible into a first half and a second half, three and a half years. And the big big deal Nathan alluded to earlier is in the middle part, that's the separating uh, act, is when the Antichrist goes into what will be a tribulation temple, a third temple, and he does what Daniel calls the abomination of desolation. So what types of things happen in the first half and the second half? Some of them will certainly carry over. What are some of the first things that happen? Well, the, like you said, the, the tribulation could be divided into two parts of 1,260 days each. We're talking about 42 months for the entire tribulation. That's 30-day months. And so we know that the, the moment that the Antichrist signs a peace covenant with the many, with Israel, that that begins the seven-year countdown. Well, 42 months, excuse me, would be... The first half. And then first half. 42, another 42 yeah, months, yeah. exactly. And those are terms that there's about 42 months, 1260 days. and So it's, like Nathan says, it's very clear oh, yeah. that's going on. I mean, for those who get saved out, who are left behind, and they understand and they start studying prophecy, hopefully from the materials we leave behind from this radio interview what we leave behind they will be like they will know to the day when Jesus Christ comes so they need to also know that the Bible also divides up the tribulation by uh, punishments 21 judgments that God will put on the earth and he divides them into sevens seven seal judgments seven trumpet judgments and seven bowl judgments now the seventh seal launches the seven trumpets and the seventh trumpet launches the seven bowl judgments but the in most Bible prophecies scholars in the pre-trib view Take it that the uh, seven seal judgments and six of the seven trumpet judgments happen in the first half of the tribulation, and then the seven trumpet judgment and the remaining bold judgments happen closer to the end of it. Right. So <clears throat> we can go through the the trumpet, the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, but basically in a, in a nutshell what happens is that the Antichrist comes on the scene, a one world leader. A, the whole world is interested, in, even in this day, in wanting a one world government to control all the rogue nations. And I believe the the windfall of Ezekiel 38 and 39 with Russia and Islam pretty much destroyed that we're seeing a total political upheaval of the world. The Antichrist comes out of Europe. He steps into the vacuum. Maybe the United States is in South America and all are crippled because of the rapture or an economic collapse. I'm not sure. But the power of the world comes out of the European Union. The world will see the Antichrist rise. He will make a peace treaty with Israel. He will then declare a war and unify the world under his leadership. Uh, the first few sealed judgments are him starting a war. A third of the, excuse me, a quarter of the world population is destroyed. It destroys the infrastructure of the world. So all of a sudden, people are starving to death. Uh, poverty uh, creates famine, and famine creates disease and pestilence. So another quarter of the world population. So. We were like last I heard, 7.2 billion people. Cut that in half, minus those who are raptured out, and the destruction of Gog and Magog. And we're talking about three to three and a half billion people dying in just the first year or two of the mm-hmm. tribulation. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a major. We're making World War II look like a schoolyard brawl. Yeah, and if you're uh, Nathan has pinpointed the location and origin of the Antichrist. Most of all of you have heard of the Antichrist. That's that scary yeah. term that... Even if you're not a Christian, you know who the Antichrist yeah, that, is. You know, yeah, that keeps you awake at night if you think about it. <laughs> but he says he comes out of Europe, 
And he's just not making that up. That is biblical in Daniel nine twenty six and 27, yes. where we're told that the, the Antichrist will come out of the people who destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary, which was the Jewish temple. That was the Roman Empire in 70 AD. So I agree with Nathan. We've got someone who will come out of the European area. Uh, that's why a lot of people are watching the uh, revival of the Roman Empire through the European Union. Mm-hmm. It's got problems right now. However, um, they will come together, in my estimation, cohesively out of a crisis scenario yes. where they will have to come together. The world will be in such a disarray after the banishing of the Christians, after the Middle East Wars of Psalm 83, Ezekiel 38. They will need peace and safety and stability. It will be ripe for a charismatic leader to come on the scene. However, we also find out in Revelation 17 that he's not the only big world scenario to be watching for. You have this harlot that rides the beast, we're told in Revelation 17, which most of us would believe is a world religion. So in other words, the world will be clamoring for peace and safety and an answer on what happened after the rapture. And so this harlot's going to come on the scene this counterfeit bride, Jesus Christ's church would be the bride of Christ, so everything's a counterfeit with Satan. This counterfeit bride will come on the scene, and she will go ahead and sort of somehow get the world to become a world religion, and she will go ahead and convince them that she's the true religion. So we're watching for that too, aren't we, Nathan? It's like that coexist bumper sticker you see on some cars. It's interesting because... We, we kind of try to fit Bible prophecy into today's world scenario. But like we've been discussing with Ezekiel 38 and 39, the end result is that Russia, which is growing into a world power, is no longer world power. We see Islam get gutted. And then we read in the tribulation how the Antichrist is obsessed with killing the Jews and with killing the new Christians, who we'll call the tribulation saints. He's not obsessed with killing the Hindus or killing the Muslims. He's only obsessed with killing the religions that challenge him. Now, we we then read, like you said, this harlot religious system, a one-world religion that that begins a kumbaya of, of religions put into one big pot, possibly led by the Catholic Church, as many believe the false prophet could be the, the Pope, and certainly this Pope is about as false as you can get. He's concerning, yes, absolutely. He's very concerning. And um, so the idea is that, that we enter this religious system, but we read halfway through the tribulation that not only does the Antichrist desecrate the temple like Antiochus Epiphanes did, a, a Greek back in uh, the intertestamental times, but that he then wages war against the, the saints, the Christians, and he, against the Jews, and he kills the harlot system, that one world religion, because Satan wants to be worshipped through the Antichrist. So to me, yeah, that's an excellent point, Bill. Is it's very important to understand is that imagine the crisis so bad on the world that all the religions lock arms and step, but those Christians and those Jews just won't participate. They're, in the, they're standing yeah, in the way the of progress. The Jews will be wanting to do their law uh-huh. and their temple, True believers in Christ will be persecuted. Um, and that's the fifth seal judgment. It's a terrible persecution of Christians, a terrible martyrdom for people's faith. Mm-hmm. Anyone who accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior in the tribulation is pretty much asking for a death sentence. Yeah, because it won't be popular because there'll be this deception going on and people will actually believe the Antichrist is someone they should put their faith and worship into. But also it'll be costly. It'll be a, a martyr's yeah. price. And so, you know, this is just a nutshell, dear listeners, version of between now and the second coming. And that is the good news. 
the second coming, you know, apart from the rapture we discussed, Jesus Christ has promised to return to restore the planet to a Garden of Eden type scenario and there'll be what's called the millennium of the Messianic Kingdom and that's a thousand years according to Revelation 20 verse 4. But what we would like to leave you with right now listeners, as Nathan makes a good point there will be martyrdom after the rapture of the church some of that will carry on in the gap between the rapture and the tribulation period which is not started by the rapture but by the confirmation of the false covenant and some of that will carry on into the tribulation and especially those who refuse to take what you have heard is called the mark of the beast uh-huh. that happens around the midpoint of the tribulation they will be killed also so you've got lots of people who have their true faith in Jesus Christ that's the good news Nathan many will come Amen. to the Lord after yes. the rapture but it will come at a martyr's price and there will be many many people who do lose their life so why would anyone wait for that, the rapture, if if that hasn't happened yet, Nathan? Why would they wait for an Antichrist to be on the scene when they can receive Jesus right now? When it is the, you can just accept him in your heart right now without having to pay the price because he's paid the price on the cross two thousand years ago. You know, it's it's not just the tribulation that should make us more uh, serious about have, putting our faith in Jesus Christ. We could die at any moment. Uh, one of my best friends, his mother was cooking dinner. She slipped on some water. Her head hit the counter. It snapped her neck. She was dead like that. Mm-hmm. We could die literally <clears throat> like that at any moment, but we don't think about it. And yet, this life is the only life we get to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And it's so important that people understand that God loved the world so much that he sent his own son to die in our place, to take our punishment for our sin onto himself when we trust him in faith and accept him as Lord and Savior. And by that, Jesus promises to forgive us of our sins, to rapture us off this earth, to keep us from the tribulation and his wrath, to keep us from hell and eternal punishment, and to live in that wonderful time period you talked about, the millennial kingdom, which is, I get so excited about Bible prophecy because we're talking about exciting things happening, terrible things, but long-term exciting things, and then eternity with God who created us in, in love and peace Righteousness and justice. Bill, you get me excited. There's no reason that anyone should hold back accepting Jesus Christ because now is the time for salvation. Yeah, and we speak to you American Americans, American Christians or Americans who are interested in what we're talking about here. You know, you can accept Christ without a, a gun to your head yes. and not having to take a mark of the beast or something like that. That's not necessarily the case in Iran or in the Syrian refugee camps where many, many people are coming to the Lord realizing it might cost them their lives. Persecution is going on in the world right now, but in America we've been very, very blessed. Things could change. We're very concerned about what we're seeing here, and it doesn't mean persecution will not make its way through the American doors. But right now, as we talk here in the concluding months of 2014, um, you know, you live in a beautiful place here, and don't let that spoil you to think that everything's just fine and you're secure. Your only security in these troubling times you right now have right now is going to be in Christ Jesus, because things are really simmering and boiling in the Middle East. These prophecies we've talked about will affect you. They won't just be confined to the Middle East with Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38 and things like that. So we're not trying to scare you to accept Christ. No, not at all. Because Christ offers you not only eternal security, but an abundant life while you're living here. But you can now 
realize that God gave you faith. You can walk by faith. You can understand God isn't as invisible as everybody points out. He will answer your prayers. He will fulfill you like you've never been fulfilled. And that's why you want to accept Jesus Christ. Not to escape the pits of hell, but because He loves you and He can be with you and guide you through this life, especially in these perilous times. I'll give you the final word. Pray in your heart. Dear Lord, please forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. Jesus promised to do that. He will forgive you of your sins. The guilt will be gone. You'll have a new life in Him and a glorious future ahead for you. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you, Nathan, very much. Unfortunately, we've ran out of time for this edition of Prophecy Update. Join us next time as we authenticate the sovereignty of Jesus Christ through Bible prophecy with our host, Bill Solace.